Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, the happiest of Happy New Year's to everybody in the room. Really good um, to be here and to see you. And actually, we're just going to get straight into Scripture, if that's okay, okay this morning. Um, Psalm 84, you might want to find it. It's going to come up on the screens in a minute. Psalm 84 uh, is a passage of the scriptures that I strongly believe God is encouraging us to uh, linger in a bit as we start this new year together. Certainly it's been a blessing to me, to Hills, to our family, a little bit of staff on Thursday and I think the Lord wants to uh, talk to us a little bit through it this morning as we continue, yes, this Healthy Habits series, foundational messages around how we connect with God in a way that changes us and then through us, the world gets changed. It does involve change. And I'm wondering how many of our New Year's resolutions um, has got a point in that direction. I hope that they do. Asking for more of his life in ours, more of his heart in mind, so that things are different and go differently with us. So we're going to go straight into Psalm 84. And I very rarely do this, but I, I wonder if I could ask you to stand. That'd be okay. I just sensed as I was coming up. Um, there's something very weighty, I think. I believe there's something very weighty uh, about these words, precious words from a long time ago. Um, and so, uh, kind of almost as an act of reverence, really. I hope that's okay. Uh, we're going to say them together. Um, they'll be on the screen here behind me. So, um, I'm just going to pray. Lord, thank you again for your ancient word and thank you that the way that you take your ancient word and through your spirit it becomes to us a living word and breathes hope and encouragement and good things into us. Lord, we pray so much that you continue to do that this morning. Thank you for how you're speaking. Thank you for how you're moving. Lord, would you bring this alive to us and bring us alive in Jesus' name. Shall we go slowly together? Don't be shy. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, that means weeping, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Amen. Do take a seat.
I wonder if you'd agree with me that there's something weighty about this, and it may well be already in the reading of God's word. Don't forget God's word, that's his voice, his voice to us that we're listening to, that we've heard it. He has underlined something, given you something, and uh, you can switch off and, and, and switch on to that and just meditate and dwell on that. Um, it is also one of those words that is tremendously simple this morning, um, and the scripture almost stands for, its, for itself. So, so pray that I don't muck it up, because uh, I'd almost want us just to dwell there. And to take, on, take these words on board and the, and, the, and the heart of what God is saying here, the heart of what the psalmist is declaring, the heart, his heart for God, God's heart for him. Because I think that God is drawing our attention to one word, one concept, one notion, one idea, one incredibly rich principle as we uh, continue this series on foundational things. And it's the word dwell. It's the word dwelling, dwell, dwelling that occurs a little bit in that psalm and many places elsewhere. Extraordinarily simple, but literally life-changing for those of us who choose to trust ourselves to God, who want for Jesus to change our hearts, who want hearts that become more like his. And again, I just remind ourselves in brackets, there's a need to want that. How many counselors does it take to change a light bulb? Well, only one, but the light bulb needs to want to change. You, it, it's, it, it underlies everything. So as we head into our, our time and the, this period of our, our lives, I'm just reminding us again, let's keep testing our, 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 desire, our levels of desire because God doesn't force himself on us and he won't do anything against our wills. But assuming that we're bringing a level of desire, a measure of hunger to this, and I've spoken about that here in the past, then dwelling, dwelling is the most extraordinary, profound, rich, life-changing word and notion, reality, that God wants to commend to us. The, title, the actual title, one of the titles I was given over this talk was this, choosing to make space for God because you want to be more like Jesus. Making space for God. Let's stretch that even more. What are your dwelling places and how do they impact your life? Where do you dwell? What, are, what does dwelling mean for you? How does your dwelling impact your heart and your whole life? Nothing smaller than that this morning. Blessed are those who dwell with God, we've just said. We're not totally sure who wrote Psalm, 80, Psalm 84. It might have been David, we don't know. But it was certainly David who wrote Psalm 27. Um, and a few weeks ago, I found myself um, calling it to mind as just we're, as we're ending our time together. I want to repeat this, that thing that came to my mind then because I think it's for now. He says this, one thing that I ask, one thing, King David says, one thing I ask, this only do I seek, that I may dwell, 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 dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. What would you like written on your tombstone? I'd quite like that on mine. Um, Tim, a man after God's own heart. King David, who was a, a shepherd, a hunter, uh, a warrior, a poet, a songwriter, a worship leader, anointed king. He became commander of the, the armies. He became effectively king one day of the whole nation of Israel. This is a very active, very fruitful man. Extraordinary CV to his life. Powerful. Did a lot. Gifted. Achieved 
high levels of things. Not somebody who was uh, super spiritual, sitting around the, the campfire in spiritual la-la land, just twanging his guitar and doing nothing at all with his life. Now, this is King David. Did all of those things, and one thing he says, I ask. Just one thing. What was, it? What was his whole life based on? It was based on this. This heart and desire to dwell to dwell in the house of the Lord, to dwell in the presence of God. It underpinned everything about who he was and what he did. Sure, he wasn't perfect. He messed up. It was his focus, though, his New Year's resolution, if you like, every year, every day, to dwell, to be in the dwelling place of God, making space for God, his top priority. It shaped him for eternity, and it still shapes people today. Who, who are you most inspired by? If you've been on the Christian path for a little while, who are you most inspired by? Who are the kinds of people that you go, wow, look at that. I wouldn't half like a life like that. That There's a person with radiance in their eyes because there's an inner radiance in their hearts. And you just know, you just know that whatever they've done with their life, they've dwelt with God. They've dwelt They've spent time dwelling, lingering. They've probably been through some hardships as well and come out the other side. They've got stories to tell. They've got scars from battles that they've fought. They've got warmth in their heart and a whole bunch of other things. But it's all based on a dwelling. We've had a, um, an interesting start to 2018 where interesting covers everything from um, pretty devastating to fairly euphoric and all points in between. Um, the empty nesting kind of continues. Number two, son, we drove up and down to Durham on Friday. That was quite tiring, but good. Um, but sad to say goodbye to him again for a season. Number three, son, we put him on a plane to Canada. Some of you know he's there for five months. He's enjoying running around in minus 30 degrees at the moment for some reason, best known to him. Um, but we had to deliver him in his jet-lagged, vulnerable, beginning of everything state, the bad news, the crushing news actually for him that he hadn't got into the university that he'd set his heart on. That was perhaps the second or third worst phone call of my life. Uh, number one daughter um, has just got engaged. Some of you know that. So much excitement there. And number one son, Tom, he's been in Israel this week. He's between jobs, taken a bit of time out, and he's been in Israel. And uh, he was saying just a couple of days ago, on messaging the things that he's really enjoyed. And he's done a whole bunch of stuff. Those of you who have had the fortune of going to Israel, all kinds of good things. And it's a small country, so you get to see a lot in a week. Where was his favorite place? His favorite place, though, was well, two places, actually, Gethsemane and a place called the Garden Tomb. Some of you might have had the privilege of being there. We have a possible burial site for Jesus, so they say, but um, the people who run the Garden Tomb aren't too concerned about whether it is or isn't the place uh, where Jesus' tomb was, because what they say is he's not here. He's risen. And... Um, and many of the visitors who come to that place on the tourist trail, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, they get captivated by this beautiful, quiet garden. If you've been there, you'll know it. Peaceful oasis in the middle of bustling Jerusalem. It's very often the highlight of people's tours. And why? Because there's something about the presence. And Tom was saying, ironically, of course, although it says he is not here, he's risen. It's the place where Tom found that he was most present in all the places where he was. There was something about being connected, about dwelling in the presence of God that just lifted him and spoke to his heart. Not saying anything against those other places, those other sites, but there's something a little harder and hard-nosed about whacking a great big building over it and charging money to go into it and arguing about it and arguing whether it was exactly this paving stone or that one where Jesus trod and all of that and something of the very presence of the God made flesh 
uh, disappears. The original psalmist, though, Psalm 84, was clearly talking about Zion, clearly talking about Jerusalem, that place where God established his presence under the old covenant. As post-Calvary people, post-Garden Tomb people, post-Pentecost people, we hear that first verse of that Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. We hear it as this, don't we? How we are made to enjoy your presence, God, wherever you are. We are made to enjoy your presence, God, wherever you are, wherever we are. We're made for that relationship. We're created to be loved. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. To enjoy personal connection with the God of everything. That's the big story from beginning to end. I want you to know me, says God, and and I've made it possible. We've just celebrated the prime way in which God has made that possible. Praise God. Thank you, Lord that you took at Calvary, all the, all the stuff that gets in the way of us knowing you, that we can be forgiven, we can know hope, we can know forgiveness, we can know you and be known by you. That possibility of what John Ortberg calls the, the with God life, if we choose it. The with God life. So much loaded into that phrase, isn't there? The with God life. Are you living the with God life? It's always been the plan. Mark 3.14, Jesus says he appointed them that they might be with him. Nothing's changed. He chooses us that we might be with him in relationship. And I'm wondering at the beginning of 2018 whether there is any more compelling thought than that, whether there is anything more attractive, more impactful, more important, more beautiful than the invitation to be with God, to do life with God, to live the with God life, to dwell to choose to dwell where he dwells. Tim, I enjoy your company. That's not a new concept to me and to many in the room, but it's come with fresh revelation in these past six, six months. I can so easily think otherwise. Lord, I want to enjoy your company. But God also says to us, do you know, Tim, I enjoy your company. I like being with you. In fact, I love being with you. Could we hang out a bit more together? He says that to you too. Fill your name in that blank. Bill Hybels tells a beautiful story. I'll compress it, but if you want to see the full version, it's on YouTube and it's called Coffee with God. And he tells the story of a busy advertising executive who did come to faith and was baptized, but felt he had such a squeezed life, so much pressure on him, there really wasn't too much time for hanging out with God. And he said that to Bill, and Bill just said back to him, well, I think we, I find that I make time for the things that I value very unjudgmental thing to say. I find I make time for the things that I value. And that sunk into this guy's consciousness. And he began just to make a little bit of time. And uh, Bill had advised him to find a favorite place and and to to set himself up in in a kind of comfortable way. He loved rocking chairs. He bought a rocking chair, really nice one. Put it in a place in his house where he had a nice view over the back garden. Got a coffee because he loved coffee. And he did some time in the rocking chair. He just began to do some time in the rocking chair every morning. Got up just 10 minutes to start with, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. Opened the Bible a bit, prayed a bit, hung out with God. He found that he began to enjoy it and he got into a habit. But it was so much more than a habit. A few years later, Bill caught up with um, this person and said to the wife, how's that going? And the wife said, I don't recognize my husband. He is a changed man. What happens in that rocking chair as he dwells with God has changed him. He's a, he's a better husband. He's a kinder father. He's a more centered person. He's more generous. He's more loving. He's becoming more like Jesus. 
simple practice of dwelling. Years later, actually, he went on to the staff of Bill Hybels' church. He then moved church to another place. He eventually caught cancer and, and died. Bill took his funeral and was having a conversation with the widow. And they were reflecting on, this was many, many years later, they were reflecting on what happened in that place of dwelling, that dwelling place that he had established for himself. He'd established many others in, in his life since. It wasn't all down to the 10 minutes in the chair, but that's where it started. And it started with the notion of God enjoys my company as much as I want to enjoy his. And interaction happened in that place. Dwelling happened in that place. Transformation happened in that place. Nothing could be more important for that man. And they were looking to pass on the rocking chair to future generations. What's your chair? We have a spectacular capacity for turning relationship into religion, though, don't we? Just a little caution about that, a little reminder. Why? I think because we find it easier, by and large, right down through history, because our hearts are broken, the hearts of men and women get broken with the encouragement of the enemy, I think. We, we, can, we can default away from uh, relationship to religion. We can start building those monuments over things and making something a monument that was never supposed to be a monument, making something into a model that was never supposed to be a model, getting excited about structures and systems, and they matter, but they only matter in terms of what they contain. That, that, that would be, religion, is, religion is a bit like... Um, uh, venerating the wrapping paper and enjoying the wrapping paper and playing with the wrapping paper and enjoying the wrapping paper and doing things with the wrapping paper and ignoring the content of the gift and unwrapping it and receiving it in the way that it's meant to be received. Jesus was at his most angry with religious people. Do you remember that? The people who, who got in the way and made others jump over hurdles or go through hoops man-made traditions and things that prevented them coming to and enjoying what? Him. Him. Prevented people enjoying him, Jesus. Relationship with him. Anything which gets in the way of that is religious. The religious spirit is alive and well. It lives on my shoulder. Do you remember? <laughs> Those who were around a little while ago, the religious parrot that speaks its nonsense into our ear. Keep killing the parrots, everybody. Just give me the rules, religion says. Just give me the ABC. Just give me the formula. Just give me the things that I need to do. When parenting our children, particularly one or two of them, more, more logically wired, they'd want to say to us, no, d d don't ask me just to work out ways of loving my, my brother or my sister. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. It's like rules. Because that's simpler. I can, I can manage that, maybe. This messy thing called relationship, not so straightforward. If you want order... Go to a cemetery. If you want life, go to a maternity unit. But it's messy in a maternity unit. Relationships messy. Doesn't fit neat boxes. Religion likes to tick neat boxes. One of my least favorites, if I can just ride a hobby horse for a moment or two, is my argument with God about the word church. God, why did you ever allow the word church to be applied to this thing, this building? Because the phrase then, go to church, down the centuries, I would say single-handedly is probably responsible for killing more life than almost anything else. <clears throat> because the phrase becomes, that the idea becomes that religious duty that I go to a building once a week and something happens to me and I push off and it makes no difference to the rest of my week, but I'm going to church, so that's got to be good. That's what good Christians do. That's dry religion, isn't it? Death lies that way. 
I never, ever refer to this building, by the way, as a church. You may have noticed that. I'll call it anything else, as inappropriate as it might sound. <laughs> Lord, please invent a new word. Give us a new word. This isn't a, well, okay, it is a church, but you know what I mean. The heart of relationship is presence. Presence, presence, presence. The currency of relationship is communication. They go together. So daughter Becca, who's got engaged to fiancé, who happens to be a good-looking young chap called Timothy. She chose well. <laughs> They're all about presence at the moment. They're all about communication, particularly as he's basically a student doing a year in Spain at the moment. And so when he's back, it's all about presence. And when he's not, it's about communication. It's about there's as much dwelling going on as possible in this relationship. Rightly so, because it's the heart of relationship is togetherness and presence. And the currency of it is communication, dwelling. Marriage so beautifully models, of course, that covenant love relationship that God has made with his people. The bridegroom wants a bride. And all that that implies by way of connection and intimacy and togetherness, not some uh, sort of part-time girlfriend. There's a ring on Becca's finger now. One day there'll be a, a wedding ring added to it. Beautiful image. It's about dwelling. It's about presence. They're not, it's not a functional relationship. I'll just call you when I need something from you. It's not a sporadic relationship. I'll drop by every now and again. It's not a feeble relationship. I think you're okay, but I'm going to hedge my bets and go out with three other people at the same time. How is it with God? Functional, sporadic, feeble? Or does it begin to mirror something of the dwelling, something of the togetherness, the presence, the level of communication that the very best engagements and then marriages model? Blessed are those who dwell with him. Where's the dwelling place of God? Uh, A.W. Tozer, famous author, he wrote a book called Man, the Dwelling Place of God. Let's just remind ourselves that's true. We could spend a long time on that too, couldn't we? The old temple in Jerusalem, it's in ruins now. It doesn't matter. That's an ancient building. Where has God, under the new covenant, put his temple, put his presence in the very heart of human beings? Get your head around that if you can try. It's still deep mystery. But man, men, women, for those who give their yes, become the dwelling place of God. Revelation 3.20, I made my personal profession of faith and commitment to the Lord off the back of that verse. Probably slightly misquoted out of context, I don't care. Jesus says, I knock on the door. And if anybody hears me, opens that door, welcomes me in, I'll come in and I'll eat with them. And they with me, what's that a picture of? God making his dwelling in the heart of a person. If you've opened a door, the Lord God Almighty, through his spirit, has made your heart his home. Say that over yourself this morning. My heart, his home. My heart, his home. He dwells there. He wants to dwell there. At the same time, his heart is our home. Paul, what's the most frequent phrase that he use, uses for, uh, for those who follow Jesus? He says, we're in Christ. My life is hidden with God in Christ. So our heart is in his when we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, some of us carry the image of a, of, of a cup, if you like, a container, and the Holy Spirit is poured in. That's a good image. It's a biblical image. 
Him within us. Equally, we carry the notion of a sponge that gets dunked in a bucket of water and the sponge gets filled up. That's us in him. Which is it? Both. His heart, my home. My heart, his home. Both. But they're places of dwelling. Places where we need to dwell. One thing I ask that I may dwell. Linger. See, whichever way we cut it, lingering, dwelling, takes time. And let's get to the rub. We don't have too long to, to apply this, but let's get to the rub of this. It takes time. The word dwell, it's, well, the reason I love this word, it's the reason that this word, more than some other words, it, it is the, the word that God, I believe, is choosing to imprint, certainly on my mind, and I believe on ours for mind and heart, <clears throat> for, for this period of time, because it needs t- time. You can't dwell quickly, can you? You can't do that. You can't linger Fast, <laughs> much as we might like to. So whatever else it might contain, and there's loads of possibilities, they all take time. Here's a bunch of things up on the screen, if you could just chuck those up. Dwelling with the Lord. Here's a bunch of, if you like, healthy habits, practices, things that sustain the dwelling, aspects of dwelling, and there'll be many others which aren't there. But look at them, worship, dwelling with God by ourselves, with others. A lot of these are are with others or by ourselves, praying, being silent, not good at that. Solitude, deliberately finding spaces by ourselves, Bible, fasting, Sabbath, and more. Dwelling, just feast your eyes on those a moment. Ways in which our dwelling with the Lord might work out. My experience of looking at something like that goes, yeah, yeah, what's new? I've seen that kind of stuff before. It's the kind of thing I expect. And then my next thought is I do a quick internal audit and if anything like me, you whiz around there and you go, oh, I'm pretty rubbish at that one. I'm doing all right at that one. That one I could do with doing a bit better. Um, I'm feeling a bit smug about that one because I'm a lot better than the person sitting next to me. And on and on. Various feelings that arise, maybe unworthiness, maybe guilt, maybe anxiety, maybe desire, intention, whatever, whatever. Our mindsets, do you notice, they get religious. The religious parrot starts talking when I see a list like that. Because it becomes a to-do list that I need to do in order to achieve. No, it's a precious invitation. Keep, keep them up there for a bit if you don't mind, Tiggers. Is that okay? They're an invitation to dwell. And I've chosen not to, to take time to, to run around some of those. Future weeks, we're going to be pausing more deliberately on some of them. Hills next week is going to be talking about how we dwell with the Lord in his word, in the Bible. A little later, somebody's going to be tackling a bit more foc- in a focused way stuff about Sabbath. Again, reminder, friends, we've had the, the leaflet. Incredibly helpful. There's beautiful things to explore and reflect upon. It's not just about what we're doing here on Sundays. Please let's be reflecting in life groups. Please let's be reflecting in your own times with God. Please be reading great books that are uh, on, on the bookstall there about this. Listen to that mess- those messages from John Mark Comer from New Wine and so on. All of these reinforcing ways of being that enable us to dwell in God's presence and in his presence to be shaped and changed and transformed in the way that we want to. How lovely is your dwelling place. Blessed are you who dwell. I want to share a testimony. Just going to focus in on just one or two, just a couple of practical stories as, as we wind this up. I suppose they come under that umbrella of prayer more than anything. 
prayer as that language of connection, both listening and speaking and hanging out and being with, big umbrella. There's a, a testimony, it's just going to come into the good news um, email and i remind you about that. It's from somebody in this church, she's given me permission to share it, uh, where over the last year and a half, she's chosen for part of her dwelling with God to look like daily speaking over her life, uh, words from the scriptures, promises, things that she knows to be true, that's particularly speaking to some of her anxieties and especially around provision. Is God going to supply and provide all, all that we need materially in, in life? And that has become her practice and it has helped to shape her as she has dwelt with the Lord in that way and listened to him and reinforced his word in her heart. It has begun to shape her and give her confidence and her faith has grown. And then she was at a a prayer gathering, a hungry prayer gathering just before Christmas in November and there was a word given, a prophetic word given, which was that God, uh, there's nothing about your life that surprises God, but he's going to surprise you. And very shortly thereafter, An extraordinary piece of provision. Her husband has been out of work for seven years, looking for jobs for seven years. And uh, within the space of a very, very very short space of time, from nowhere, an invitation came to him. And he he didn't even have to apply. A job came to him. and, And he's recently just begun that job. And the story is partly about the God of surprises. It's partly about uh, God blessing in that extraordinary way. It's partly about the power of the rhema and prophetic word. But it's a lot about the dwelling, she says. It's a lot about the consistent day-to-day choosing to dwell. And transformation has happened and is happening. There was a lady, I haven't got time to read the, the whole story in my... Eyesight probably wouldn't quite capture it all anyway, but I remember a story that Justin Welby uh, told. It, it was a testimony that came in off the back of the Thy Kingdom Come prayer initiatives last year. Do you remember that? And it was about a woman who was uh, suffering from depression initially, um, postnatal depression, but it, it had lingered for a very long time. She kind of wanted to be somebody who did things with God and hung out with God, but she felt incapable of doing anything more than just saying the Lord's Prayer. So that was the practice that she began. That was her form of dwelling. And she just, she struggled through it. Day one, she struggled through 70 words and then put the piece of paper down. The next day, she just found a moment to say the same 70 words again and put it down. And nothing was changing in her heart or life, but she just determined that she was going to dwell with God in that way. And as day moved into week and as week moved into month, she found something began to change and words began to have a fresh resonance and a reality And something began to lift and eventually her entire depression and oppression began to lift. And the the, the testimony, that was many years ago now, the testimony of her having been freed and released from from, from all that was assailing her through the simple practice of dwelling. It required her cooperation, it required her hunger. A few personal things, if I might, and this isn't sort of here's the, the totality of Tim's prayer life or anything like that. It's some more recent things that either have become a new practice or refreshing an old practice for me. Um, we have chosen to create a space, a deliberate space in our home uh, and time to dwell uh, where every other distraction is shut away and on a weekly basis we are very intentional about allocating that time. It's almost like recreating a little prayer room if you like. I'm not going into all the details because they're quite personal to us but it's an intentional bit of making space of dwelling time that we guard religiously, if I'm allowed to use the word in its right context. Um, I find that I tend to connect with the Lord in nature as, as well as anywhere, sometimes better than anywhere else. My practice is to have a daily walk with God. I know many of you do this. You're, I'm not saying anything rocket science. It's just about thinking through, Lord, what, what would help me to dwell? 
So I go for a daily walk. I set a, a, an alarm on my phone. It goes off at various moments in the day. At the moment, seven, one, four, and seven. Uh, some biblical references there that you probably recognize. For me, journaling has become a, a practice that, honestly, if I have many, I have so many regrets in life. If I had begun the practice of journaling years ago uh, in the way that I do it now, uh, mine would have been a richer life. Uh, that practice of being able to write things down. I dwell with God over words, over writing stuff, over impressions. I record them, I write them, I go back to them. They are a rich way of dwelling with God. If I can't think of anything else to do, I'll just read back over some things in my journal. Nothing is more encouraging. Turning aside to ask. I think I mentioned a little while ago. Go back to David. Uh, I spent a lot of time in, the, in our sabbatical uh, looking at the life of David. And I just became so impressed again that every third or fifth verse about King David says, and David inquired of the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord. It didn't really matter what it was. David inquired of the Lord. Is that characteristic of your relationship with God, your dwelling with him? Or is that part of what we call our prayer life? Lord, I'm not sure about this today. Can I ask you about that? What's going on here? Can I ask you about that? Asking, 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 turning aside to ask. There's a beautiful bit in, um, I was just reminded actually of a talk we listened to on the, in the car on the way up to Durham. Um, or I think it's in Mark 9 where Jesus casts out the demon from the, 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 um, the, the young boy. The disciples couldn't do it. And uh, do you remember, he, they, they say, why couldn't we do that? And he says, because this kind, kind only come out through prayer and fasting. It's an amazing little talk, uh, um, episode. And people focus on the, how do you get the, the demon out of the boy? It's about prayer and fasting. And there's something important about that. But the point the speaker was making about this passage was, the point was that the disciples took Jesus aside and asked him why they couldn't do it. That's good, isn't it? The taking Jesus aside to ask about stuff. I'm confused about this. I don't know about this. I'm disappointed about this. This isn't going very well in my life. Here's this thing that I want for somebody else and it's not happening. I'm taking Jesus aside and I'm asking him. That's part of dwelling. Love that. So powerful. So I'm trying to learn to ask a little bit more. Retreats more intentionally. The very thing though that I know that I need will help me. Dwelling with God can be the very thing that I find hard to do or don't do just end on a slightly negative note, shall we? <laughs> I know that what this surfaces for many of us is two things, amongst, amongst others, and they're two lies, actually. The first lie is I don't have time, and the second lie is I'll do it later. Can we, can we recognize, recognize those uh, as lies, though, first of all? Can we do that? Can we, can we agree together that I don't have time is a lie? It's a lie, isn't it? Uh, what are we saying? God got it wrong? <laughs> Uh, if we had 25 hours every day, God, and eight days in a week, then we'd spend more time with you. Then I'd dwell with you. In other words, God, you got it wrong. You didn't give me enough time for all the things that you wanted me to do and called me to do and to be in this life. No. We give time, we find time for the things that we value. Remember? Does that resonate in your life? You find time. Somehow, I find time for the things that I value. Well, that's challenging, isn't it? Dot, dot, dot. How much do I therefore value the dwelling with God? That's the, the obvious corollary of that. But let's allow ourselves to be challenged. So I don't have time is a lie. Of course, there'll be seasons in life where we might find that we have uh, a greater gift of time and a less one. We had masses of time in our sabbatical. It's a beautiful gift. We have rather less now. If you're a student, you might be quite time-rich in that period of your life. If you're retired, you might be quite time-rich in that period of your life. I'm not saying that's necessarily so. There may be other periods of your life. You've got young kids. You're, you're time poor. 
But we all have time. We can find time for things that we value. Second lie, I'll do it later. I think this is one of the enemy's most successful tactics. I'll put it off. Just put it off. Just do that other thing first. Just tick that thing off your, your to-do list first, and then I'll dwell a bit more intentionally with God. I'll just check my email. I'll just pop on social media to check that the world hasn't fallen in. I'll just go on BBC Sport to see if Arsenal are still languishing in eighth place or whatever it is. By the way, I think this age has never contained, or there has never been an age that contains as much possibility for distraction as this age. Although that's been true of, of every age, but there's something about gadgets, there's something about digital information and connection that just means that possibility is so much stronger. They're addictive, by the way, they're designed to be. Um, so addictions require breaking, actually they require deliverance. Um, and I would long to be somebody who is addicted in a different way to dwelling with the Lord to value dwelling with God enough to do it, to make it happen. Why? To position ourselves, friends, to position ourselves for God to bless us, for God to grow us, for God to transform us, for God to touch us, for God to make us just a bit more the people he wants us to be and then the church that he wants us to be in this world that needs him so much. Can I just end where we started? Can I just invite you to stand. Whatever my words may or may not have contained, can we end with these beautiful words of God? Just a few small excerpts from that psalm we read together, and let's allow this to take us into a, a place of response, a place of waiting, a place of listening, a place of going, yes, God. Invite the band to come back up as well. So this songwriter was able to say this, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. And my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, in your presence. Blessed, 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 blessed are those who dwell. There's blessing in dwelling. I bless you in Jesus' name. As I bless myself in Jesus' name to dwell, to choose to dwell, to want to dwell, to have a heart that is after dwelling with God, to do the with God life. I bless us to have a hunger that grows. I bless us to be those whose heart and flesh even begin to cry out for the more of God's presence. I bless us to take decisions that will grow our capacity to dwell.
Yes, I bless what we do when we're dwelling, but I can't help thinking that God, first and foremost, wants us. He wants us. He wants our presence before he even wants our, our words or our complaints or our praises or our whatever. He wants us. Lord, thank you that you do. Thank you that you're after our hearts. David was a man after your heart. God, thank you that you have always been a God after our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're after my heart this morning. Thank you that you're after each heart here this morning, right now. You're after our hearts, Lord. You're after presence. You're after all of us. Thank you, God. So be blessed in dwelling. Be blessed in dwelling. And Holy Spirit, we're now inviting you to seal that in our hearts and to help us to respond to it in our hearts and in our lives. So say what you need to say. Underline what you need to underline. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit of God.